Hi everyone, Joel McLean here from Inspire Leadership Coaching and welcome to another episode of This is Leadership Podcast. So this, guys, is actually the fifth episode of a five-part series showcasing the book Disrupt the Status Quo, Inspire, Innovate, Lead, Teach, Learn. And what a treat I've got for you guys today. We've got all four authors together in the same episode talking with me, you know, discussing about disrupting the status quo. We've got Christine, Daphne, Matthew and Brian for this awesome culminating point in the series. So it was great, you know, talking to them again, getting their different perspectives on, you know, what disrupting the status quo really means and how they're going about doing it. So make sure to download this episode, guys. You're going to want to share it with your colleagues and your friends and make sure that you subscribe to the podcast, of course, because you don't want to miss any of the good stuff, you know, that's published and the great conversations that I have with some pretty fantastic people. So listen, I'm sure you will enjoy this episode. Four authors, part five of five, the finale, the grand finale of the five-part series. Enjoy, guys. Hi, everyone, and welcome to This is Leadership, a podcast dedicated to bringing you insightful conversations with leaders that inspire us to be better and to go further. I'm your host, Joël McLean, and I am very excited to have you here with us today. Now, let's get to today's episode and get our leadership on. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of This is Leadership, your intersection between growth and leadership. And... Part five, I'm so excited. We are talking about Disrupt the Status Quo. If you haven't gotten the book and it's black, so of course I'm showing for the people on uh, the people on uh, on um, YouTube. I'm trying to show the book and it's black, so it's getting you know melted into my background. You can't see it, but Disrupt the Status Quo, that's what we're talking about. We've been talking about the book for the last uh, four episodes. Uh, I've had the privilege to interview each one of the authors, Brian, Daphne, Matthew, and Christine. I'm having a great time. So this is the last recording, part five. We got everybody together. Uh, Christine is not there. We're hoping she's going to connect, though. And if she does, we'll, she'll just join in with us. But really glad that uh, Matthew, Daphne, and Brian are here. Uh, you know, just to, to close things off, close this series off on a great book. That's been, you guys have had some, you know, just a great reaction online. You've had uh, the sales have been fantastic. You're back up, I think, on, on top of the charts again. You guys are just you're just hitting it, you know. It's 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 great to see that it's a great book, and uh, really happy that you guys can make it here, uh, you know, because it is lunchtime. You know, it's it's about twelve minutes past noon on a Friday afternoon. So you know, I really appreciate you guys making the time, and it's always a pleasure to connect with you guys. Happy to be here. Awesome. So this is how it's going to work, guys. So for everybody listening, uh, last part is what I did was I chose. Uh, one passage per author. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about that and then I'll just throw it out to, to, to you guys and whoever wants to speak or has got something to say about about uh, you know about that one little section that I chose uh, per author. Then you go ahead and you just talk and then we'll get through uh, you know each author, uh, a little passage, and then we'll, we'll close things off uh, for this series. Sounds good to you? Right on. So you know what? I think I'm going to start with with Daphne. So Daphne, you know, talked about perspective. And I think that's a really important piece because when we talk about being disruptive and we want to, you know, we want to be, you know, people that 
that aren't afraid to take risks and but are also uh, able to you know take some of the negative uh you know backlash that could come from that you know our perspective is something that becomes very very important and of course you know in in my journey you know being a, an educator my journey as an administrator and as a leader has evolved through that and my perspective has changed as well so you know daphne in the perspective piece says that when our perspective changes so does our day when our perspective changes so does our classroom when our perspective changes the opportunities for growth increase exponentially for better or for worse our perspective changes everything so you know in 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 the mindset of being you know of disrupting the status quo you know how important is perspective based on your experience and and how do you see that piece you know being important and how how can we be intentional in you know making sure that when we are talking about our own perspectives that we're conscious of it and that we're able to be on the lookout and and listening and hearing other people you know to make sure that we're not we're not closed off in our own ideas so how do you guys see that working into you know having that dis disrupt the stay at a school mindset um, let's go to, uh, let's go to Daphne first because it's it was your part so go ahead <laughs> perfect so when we first sat uh the four of us sat in a meeting um on a call to talk about what uh what this book was going to unfold to be um I had pitched and, and I write about this in the book too I had pitched yeah. that one of the sections should be called what's the big deal um <laughs> so <laughs> Uh, we we eloquently changed that into perspective, but my my mindset in in that idea was that so often uh, many of the things we look at, um, or many of the things sorry things that happen in the way we look at them can change um, how we handle situations and how we see those opportunities as either uh, moments of growth or just moments of frustration. So I think coming from my perspective in a classroom filled with young students. I could spend all day uh, pointing out things that need to change in terms of behavior or in terms of anything that's happening in our classroom. But when I started to change that perspective that I had in the way I was looking at these kids as learners, um, I started to be able to tap into them, themselves as learners and started to look at ways that I could use the things that they were doing to grow our classroom community into something more that I wanted it to be. But then I also realized that changing your perspective um, kind of just makes you happier. Uh, and it sounds really simple, but it, it it's hard to do, but with a lot of self-reflection, a lot of time and, and a lot of experience on my end in terms of, you know, uh, who I was surrounding myself with and what I was listening to around me, changing that perspective and looking at things as, is it really that big of a deal suddenly changes how we start to respond and react to things that we are involved in. That's awesome. Uh, Matthew, do you got anything to add to that? So I think one of the things I wanted to jump in on perspective as well is on each other through this project. We talk a lot about perspective outwardly. And in my first kind of pass at this book and my part, I think I took a perspective of, I need to share everything I know. And to be honest with you, Daphne gave me some honest feedback about that perspective saying like, this is not what I think is going to resonate as well as talking about your own perspective. And I had to yeah. turn it inward and change my own look. And I think that's done through confidence and trust of the person talking with you. But throughout the book, that was a whole different perspective for myself as well, that my whole section changed to 
looking at myself and how I had to change a perspective mm-hmm. on another person. And I think we don't talk about that enough in our profession. And I think when we talk about disrupting the status quo, we often tell people how to do it. There's many people out there on Twitter or writing blogs that tell you how to do things. But for me, the biggest piece of this book was when Daphne gave me that feedback and I shifted my own perspective as a writer that I was able to produce content that supported others going through similar things. Oh, that's powerful. Powerful. Brian? I'm going to focus on a school level example. My last school I taught at uh, here in Ontario, when it snows, it snows uh, a lot. And um, our eighth graders, our grade eights like to play King of the Hill, right? The old game where they push each other from the top of the hill and the last person standing is the winner. And I remember uh, colleagues, whoever was on recess duty at the time, were all fired up that Mr. Aspinall's students are playing King of the Hill and, you know, they can't be pushing each other off the snow hill and this and that and this and that. All true facts. Don't get me wrong. It happens every time there's a snowfall and every time we get a snow hill on every school playground the first time of the school year. Well, my administrator said, I will fix this problem. No problem. Done. He called the POW company and said, I'm canceling my contract. So rather than policing the kids on the top of the hill, he simply removed the hill. Now, that's a different perspective. But you think about that now, uh, because the hill and playing King of the Hill is how it's always been done. So it really, really resonated with me. Also, because it changed my footwear. It changed everybody's footwear. Because now when we have recess duty, it's not a wet blacktop. It's two feet of snow. Because there's no hill. But guess what? The kids aren't pushing each other. Problem solved. <laughs> That's funny. That's definitely a, a different way to see the problem. But and and when I read, you know, that whole that whole part in the book, it it brought me back to there was a certain time uh, as as a school administrator where you know I had planned some PD and some activities for my student for 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 the staff, you know, thinking that it was awesome and thinking that you know they're gonna love this and it just flopped. It completely flopped because then I, that's and that's when I realized I said, geez, you know, like I actually planned it, you know, based on my perspective, what I liked, what I thought, what I thought they would like instead of actually going and ask them, you know, OK, what is it you'd like to do uh, ahead of time? You know, like we got a PD day coming. We got let's say we got two hours that we can use for our staff. You know, how do you guys want to do this? Uh, what would you like to do? So that really, you know, brought back that that important piece about, you know, getting th- those different perspectives because I can have the best intentions in the world and think that it's going to be awesome and it's going to rock, but it ends up flopping because it's not actually, you know, it's not actually, um, you know, responding to what people need on, you know, in the school. So that was a really uh, important moment for me to, to to remember that, right? So and ever since then, I always think back to that, you know, if I don't want it to flop, I got to go out there and ask, you know, what is it that you want and what is it that you need? And Matthew, you wanted to add? And, well, I just listening to you now, as you are talking about perspective, it bleeds into our whole section on voice. Yeah. What you're saying is when you shifted your perspective and asked other people and gave them a, a voice. So it all, I think the big piece for us in this project is it's not four def- different sections, that all of it comes together. And when you shift that perspective and allow for me, at least for my section in, in, in voice was I had the perception of my way is going to work because I'm at Boston College doing my doctoral work on <laughs> observations. Let's do this. And I that was my perception. And I went in and until I gave a voice to the teachers and they took it over. I'm like, OK, yeah, that's better. 
I'm, I'm going to actually have to open up and say that's better. And we're going to run with it because we gave them that voice. And I think that led into our section about voices that one thing leads into another, that when we shifted that, when I shifted that perspective and gave the voice to the teachers, we were able to get to the goal that I thought we needed to as a school, but they had input. And when the yeah. teachers have input, then we're shifting the status quo. We're shifting and disrupting what we used to do. And it really made a big difference. So when I was listening to you, it just sounded like that was a seamless into voice because you were just saying the same thing. It flopped because you were looking at it from one lens, but the people who were receivers of the information were hearing it very differently. Exactly. And I don't know what's going on, but I think you must have read my notes, Matthew, because that's the part that I chose for you. I'm not kidding. It, it is. It was the voice part and, and I couldn't have asked for a better segue into, into your part, but you know, we, you talked about in, in voice, you talked about getting out of the way, right. And giving that voice to teachers and how even through your research, you know, you, you, you realize, and you found out that, you know, what a way to, 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 to create value, right. Or to, to make sure that people feel valued. So they're in, even more invested. So maybe I can start with you. So how important was it for you when you were an administrator or even like a, a, a classroom teacher, or, you know, it doesn't matter what, you know, what we're doing in the school, but how important is it for us to get out of the way? Well, initially, as a younger administrator, I was in the way. I was a, a, a male figure in the building who thought I knew everything, and I was scared really inside, like, oh, boy, I don't know what to do. So my outward impression was I'm going to be the bravado. And what it did is it created roadblocks because, one, I had to mask my true personality. And at the same time, I had to other people weren't buying into some of the things I wanted to do. Yeah. So when I say get out of the way, sometimes people hear like, awesome, I'm going to go watch ESPN uh, for, <laughs> for an hour. But it's not necessarily that. It's more of like, get out of your own way. And I was actually creating roadblocks for myself as a leader. And teachers sometimes do this, too. They create their own roadblocks in, in this voice. When teachers want to give students a voice, they create you know, for me, I was an elementary principal. I'd walk in and see all the snowmen cut out on the table and all the kids did was glue them in. Like, yeah, that's not really giving the students a voice on creating their own projects. And as a principal, I had an idea of what it should look like, but I also then created the steps to get there. Yeah. So for me, as, as in the leadership part of this voice is I wanted to set the vision, but when I had to get out of the way was when I also said, then here's step one, here's step two, here's step three. But I didn't have to do any of the steps, right? I wasn't doing the steps. Yeah. So I had to remove myself and allow the individuals who were going to do the peer observations, or as they now call it, classroom visits, yeah. to set that course because one, it gave them buy-in to do it. Two, they stood up at the staff meeting and were like, this is how it's going to work. And he's and I'm just like, yeah, this is going to work and support them by getting subs, by giving them release time. So I think by getting out of the way, it doesn't mean remove yourself from the uh, project. It means don't set up your own roadblocks as a leader, as a teacher. And by providing the voice, yes, you're giving up some control. You don't know what's going to come from somebody's ideas. Yeah. But part of that's the fun of it. And part of that is the disruption of what we're doing. And if you think back to any of our projects that we work on or any of the things that you share that students create, it looked different than how you actually planned it. And that's the exciting part. And I, th I think it's great. Like what, what a great way to build capacity because that's what we want to do, right? Is to build, build capacity with our people. And that's what I tell my team, like uh, of my instructional leaders here, here at the board and, and, and my full-time job is, you know, our objective and my objective and their objective is we want to, we want to, you know, empower them 
so well and develop so much capacity that they don't even need us anymore. So that's that's the goal, right? That's where we want to get to. When we, when we, we might never get there, but that's where we want to get. So Daphne, you got something to chime in uh, for that part? Yeah, um, I... Uh... I have to say that the best learning that happens in my classroom is when I'm uh, not a part of it. <laughs> and, it, you know, sort of piggybacking on what Matt's saying, um, I started to really move away from classroom rules and moving into classroom expectations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, they they come to me and they already know what the rules are. Uh, so if you if you sit on the first day of school and you say, what are the rules of the classroom? They know automatically, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. So I really, from the first day onward, try and instill in them that vocabulary and that yeah. idea of, well, what can you do? You I don't know what you can't do, or I already know what you're not supposed to do, but what are the things you're supposed to do? And when they have that voice, when they have the opportunity to have somebody listen to what they think should happen in a classroom, then all of a sudden they're more willing to do those things because they are owners of that. And that's really hard for kids to um, sort of understand. Like, you know, we're, we're three, we're, we're into November of the school year. So we're about yeah. 30 days into the school year in terms of actual classroom days. And it's taking, uh, it's going to continue to take time for me to develop a set of learners who see the space as theirs and not mine. Um, you know, they'll still ask, can I sit in the rocking chair? Yes, of course you can. Can I sit here? Can I go here? Can I get this? Can I get that? And my goal is always, um, you know, by the end of the year, uh, for some kids, it takes longer because they've been so sort of rigidly um, trained to, to, to think and believe a certain way about how things should happen in the classroom. And my goal by the end of the year is to have them, you know, realize that this is our shared space and they can do in it whatever it is that they want to do so long as they're safe. And we talk about safety being safety of our minds, safety mm -hmm. of our bodies and the safety of our hearts. And if we are making safe choices then we're respecting everybody's, um, you know, everybody's need and uh, right to learn. But if we spend our year speaking from the classroom teacher perspective, just telling them what they can and can't do and not allowing them to you know, discover the best ways to be, then we're never really giving them the opportunity to learn truthfully, authentically themselves. Yeah. I think we get scared that if, if we think that, or if, if we do it that way, it's, uh, it'll be perceived, you know, like, like it's, it's not a good thing. You know, the, the, the person that'll walk in front of my classroom and comment that it's loud and looks like it's disorganized <laughs> and it's crazy. And, story of my life. Well, you know, and they don't, they actually don't know what's going on. Yeah. So sometimes it's to get over our own, you know, our own fears and comes back to what Matthew said, it's get out of your own way, right? That's what it is because we end up not only, you know, keeping students from maybe, you know, learning some, some great stuff in different ways, but it also, it blocks us from, from being able to experience that as well with our students. So Brian, did you have anything uh, for that part? Yeah. I want to talk about like intentionality versus impact, which we, we mentioned a lot in the book and we've talked about it here too. Uh, and you touched upon it earlier as a, a school leader or a district leader or a classroom teacher with in charge of a, a group of people. Sometimes we have we always have the best intentions, but that doesn't mean the message is being uh, perceived that way. Yeah. Sometimes we might offend somebody. And I, I've heard we, we all hear often. Oh, I didn't mean that. That wasn't my intention. And I've started to realize that that statement alone in many ways is a little bit selfish that says 
I didn't like that. That's about me rather than taking the time yeah. to understand how or why you offended the receiver of the message. It's almost a cowardly uh, justification, if you will, rather than trying to take the time to understand the perspective of the people you're in charge of. We, we recognize all of our students as unique individuals. And up here in Canada, we're so incredibly diverse that we have to be mindful of all of the differences that we have in front of the people that we are, we're supposed to support. Yeah, definitely. That's a great point. You know, often it'll, it'll, it'll it's a, it, it comes back to being about us. Right. And if I do feel offended, you know, one of the first questions I should ask myself is why, why am I feeling that that, where is it coming from? And to be able to just take a, and, and this doesn't take five hours to do, it could become like a, a, a really quick habit to just stop yourself before I can react maybe emotionally and think, okay, well, where is that coming from, right? Is it, it because that feeling, I own that feeling, right? It's not somebody else. It's, it's unknown. It's feeling that. So I got to question that. So I think that's, that's great. Christine, great to see you. Glad you can, you can uh, connect with us today. So perfect timing because we're going to get into the part, one of your parts in, in the book. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to do a passage and then I'm just going to throw it out to you guys, but you'll be the first one to react because it was your, it was your part that you wrote. So we're going to talk about iteration. So iteration, we know, is something that's really important in learning. Iteration is about failing and it's succeeding and failing and succeeding. And, you know, and just to keep going in that loop. And when we're talking about disrupting the status quo, of course, um, that's part of it, right? We're going to fall on our faces sometimes, but we got to be able to get back up. So Christine, uh, in, in that part, in the failure part of the book, you know, and I think we touched on a little bit in uh, in our chat that we had together when we recorded your episode. You know, we talked about this whole thing about how we know that iteration, I'm tapping my head with a pen there. You can't see it because I got the background. But when talking about iteration, you know, we know that it's important and we, and, and we say it, you know, failing is important because that's how you learn. If you're not failing, then how do you know you're learning? Right. So you don't know how to do everything uh, automatically. And you talked about it with, you know, the bicycle example and. But, you know, one of the things that you touched on, which is really important that I'd like to throw out at you guys is, is this, what is this thing that we think that, you know, often in school, we, we have to get it right the first time. And you talked about that in, in, in this chapter in particular, where you wrote, what is it about school that makes us think we should know how to do something after seeing it done once? I think that's a great question. So, Christine, I'll shoot that out to you uh, first and get your reaction on that. Uh First, I'm sorry I was late. Um, this is just no a problem of working in a school and being in a <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, for some reason, my head had this is 12:30, and I was like, "Great!" After first lunch, and I come down here, and everyone's like, "Where are you?" Um, so yeah, so I guess I failed at showing up on time. Um, <laughs> no problem. No perfect. problem. Happy um, you're here. <laughs> so you know, for me the. I'm still trying to figure out how to do things right. Um, you know, it's, but in school, we have this expectation that these young minds that aren't even um, developed fully yet are going to be able to see something or be told how to do something and then emulate it perfectly the first time. Um, I don't know why that is. I, I think ultimately it's, if I had to take a guess, I would say it's because the adults have some other objective, which is to get through the curriculum and they don't have time to focus on any one thing. Yeah. Um, you know, the objective, I think, in life outside of school is to learn how to be a better person and to learn how to do things the best that you can. Um, and that supports itself and lends itself to trying over and over again, right? So like, 
clearly the systems I put in place to try to show up to meetings on time <laughs> working. Um, and so I need to rethink uh, the systems I have in place for me so that maybe next time I can show up on time. So um, that's fine, right? Like no one's given me a demerit, you know, maybe it speaks poorly to my um, time management and organization skills, but like I get another shot. So I, I think we got to stop prioritizing the adults when it comes to school and we need to start prioritizing the kids. And, and once we make that shift, then I think it becomes less about getting it right the first time because we're not worried about what the teacher has to do next. And it becomes more about getting the student to understand the standard. Right. Then you're comparing yourself to where you were before. Right. So it becomes it goes from the student doing it to please the teacher to doing it because he wants he wants to get better. Right. To, to be further than where he was before. I love that. I love that. Uh, Matt. Sure. And I think it's uh, just going off of what Christine said. It's often a mixed message. Right. We I mean, if you walk into any school and you look at the mission or vision somewhere in there it's going to say continuous learning right lifelong learners growth whatever insert buzzword but when it comes to actual student learning if they don't do well in a test it's like well you that's who you are that we don't give the same messages as that that we produce orally like we want to continue to grow it's about learning not about teaching except when it comes down to, as you were talking about, the the failure side of it, teachers for some reason want to hold students to that singular grade and hold them to that singular performance. When, you know, at least here in the United States, most schools are 180 days. That's 180 opportunities. Why is it a singular one-shot deal when we can go back, reteach? And if anybody gets something right the first time, it was probably too easy. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what you, you know, I'm thinking about this when you're talking, the first thing that came into my mind is, can you imagine how many of us wouldn't have a license if we only had one shot at the test? And that's probably one of the most common examples that we can get. Right. And you know, it's not like that in life. If you, if you don't pass, you can have another, another opportunity to try it again and again and again until you get it. Right. So there's that iteration piece. Uh, I think it's right. Oh, go ahead, Christine. Maybe if we did it that way, there wouldn't be so many crappy drivers. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that, that's another perspective. That's for sure. So so listen, guys, I'm seeing the time rolling by. I know it's lunch. I'm going to get right into Brian's part. And and it's a it's a great link because we were talking, you know, in terms of what we were just talking about. And Brian, in the perspective uh, part of the book, uh, you said something that was that was really powerful. And I'd like to get your reaction on that and everybody else's reaction as well. So and it's a lesson that you said that you learned, you know, your first year. And that lesson was, it's okay to be where you are. However, it's not okay to stay there. So talk to us about that. Yeah, some, I, you know, I've, I've tweeted that over the years and have received pushback on that too. Some people find that to be a little bit intimidating as if there's, as if it's never good enough. Well, in many ways, good enough today isn't good enough tomorrow. We have to yeah. keep evolving. We're we're always chasing perfection, but that you'll never get to that point. You'll never get to uh, perfect because it doesn't exist. We just want to continue to be better ourselves and and do better ourselves. We talk a lot in schools about risk taking um, and embracing failure, but for most of our students, there's too much risk in not getting the grade. So it, yeah. it's this 
contradictory statement where, you know, on Friday afternoons, we're going to be in the STEM makerspace. So I want you to be creative and do things. But on Monday morning, I need you to be prepared for that spelling test or multiplication test we're going to do. And then we put all this emphasis on those grades and we put all this emphasis on, on those numbers. And, you know, it, it's detrimental in so many ways. I'm, I'm guilty of saying I need a math mark. And that's because it's about me. That's because it's about the hole in my mark book. It's not about the kids in front of me. It's about the report card that's coming. And I need some sort of concrete evidence because what I think of these kids in terms of my professional judgment isn't good enough. I need artifacts. So all of a sudden, I'm whipping quizzes out, photocopying them because it's quick and easy. And I can then justify whatever I'm writing on the report card without any context into where and why this quiz came to be. Yeah. It was about me. Now, that might be a system problem. That might be a report card issue. That might be a whatever the case. But in my 15 years in the classroom, I never once had the Markbook police show up. I've done many teacher evaluations where they haven't looked at my Markbook. I, I stopped writing a day book in like my third year. No one's ever questioned that. Uh, you get a good substitute teacher and you don't even have to worry about writing a day book, even if you're off. So that worked for me. And um, I think personally, it, under that statement of it's okay to be where you are, it's not okay to stay there. When we stopped giving grades at our school, that means we still had to do a report card. So twice a year, kids would get a number twice a year, first term, second term. So be it. Our older kids would conference with us to try and come up with a to try and create a numerical value based on their own learning in certain subject areas. The point is, when we stopped removing, when we stopped putting marks on student work, their verbiage no longer became what did I get, which was just an annoying question to me. It became, can I try this? And it taught me that in, until we are done with the way we evaluate, we're not going to be able to embrace risk taking and embrace learning from failure at our schools. Mm. That's awesome. Christine, you want to chime in on that? Um, I completely agree with with Brian's perspective. You know, as a as an administrator and a member of a school's instructional leadership team, I'm really pretty tired of sitting in meetings where we talk about like the structure of curriculum and program of studies and GPAs and, you know, um, access to, to specific courses, because ultimately we can make all the changes we want there. But if we don't change the way we view grading, um, it doesn't matter any system systematic changes that we make above that, because it's still all going to not do what we want it to do in the end. Um, and, we're afraid to have that conversation because it's a difficult one uh, because there's a lot of different philosophical viewpoints about it. But as Brian's saying, like, okay, it's all right that we we're here and that we have these differences, but to just like put our hands up in the air and be like, well, this is a tough conversation. We've never gotten where we want to be with it. So let's not waste our time and have it. Like that's, what's unacceptable. Mm. Uh, I really find it frustrating when people in general, express uh, a specific problem they have or something they're not happy with, but they're not proactive. They're not doing anything to solve the problem. They're just belly aching about it. Like it's just such a waste of energy. Yeah. And you know, I think when you and I spoke, I, I it all comes back to even though each bucket is different and each bucket is important, all the buckets could fit into the perspective bucket. You know, once you change your perspective, yeah. then 
you impact all the other things. You impact failure, you impact student voice, you impact toxicity and how people view environments. Mm. Uh, and I think that's ultimately where we need to go. And that's what the ultimate breaking of the status quo is, is, mm. is forcing yourself to see it a different way. Love it. Love it. Daphne? Um, when I hear uh, Ryan's that that line, because I've, I've heard it uh, very often, and uh, it really resonates with me, but in a completely different way. So some years ago, I um, admittedly put myself on a, a bit of a pedestal in the school that I was teaching in because I, I felt, I believed that I was doing more innovative things than some of my colleagues. And that's the way I saw it. That was my perspective. It was the wrong perspective <laughs> because it was um, it was very one sided one sided and single minded and it was you know I had blinders on and I only saw what I was doing. Um, as a result, I didn't see exactly what Brian was saying. It's okay to be where you are. It's not okay to stay there. And I the way I was perceiving what my colleagues were doing were staying where they were, um, and I saw myself as moving forward. But because they weren't moving at the speed that I was. I define that as they weren't moving at all. Mm. And that was a completely wrong way to look at things. Um, I destroyed relationships. I burned bridges until I got to a point where I had a very supportive administrator who was able to sort of very kindly um, and gently sit me down and tell me what I needed to hear. And until yeah. I started really looking at, you know, needing to look at my own journey and not comparing it to anybody else's for better or for worse, that's when I was able to see that, oh, they are moving. They're just not moving at my pace. There's nothing wrong with that because in a different part of my life or in a different part of my, you know, my being or my journey or, or what have you, um, maybe I'm not moving at the speed that somebody else is. And maybe I'm exactly. going much slower because that's the pace that I need to take. And we have to, we look at our students doing the same thing. You know, we sit in a class of 20 or 30 kids. They're not all moving at the same pace. And we accept that from our students, especially our youngest students. We really realize that we all learn differently. We need different things to learn and to succeed and to achieve. But oftentimes when we look at our colleagues, we have an expectation that we should all be moving at the same speed. And, you know, hearing that part of, um, of Brian's uh, section of the book continues to remind me that, you know, I need to focus on my journey, but also respect and appreciate the journeys of other people. And as long as we are moving forward, that's what's important is the moving piece. Yeah, absolutely. You got to watch that comparison. Eh? That's, uh, that's, yes. it's so detri detrimental for sure. Matt, did you want to add something? So I think, yeah, I agree with everybody. So I don't want to re repeat what they were saying, but a flips, uh, another piece of that from the leadership side is I never was staying where I was, but I was running too fast at okay. the same time. So as a leader, I had all these great ideas because I didn't have to teach for six hours. So I had these ideas and, and, and I wanted to do these things and I was going almost too fast and people couldn't keep up. And it goes back to what Christine said. Everything's in the perspective bucket. My initial perspective was these teachers are lazy and I'm going to just keep going. And yeah. what happened was I was too far ahead. And I don't mean I was better. We just had a huge disconnect when I was a building leader and the teachers in my early years, because I wanted to go, go, go. But until I started to lead from the middle, like pushing some people and then pulling some along that we as a staff didn't move together, that moving as a solo person was fine, but I left everyone behind and that didn't work out so well as a principal. And until I slowed down, changed my own perspective and 
ensured everyone take, you know, move wherever you are, take one more step and then we, we support you and then take another. So as long as we're moving, I was just, I had the wrong perspective of it had to be at a certain pace. And as a school leader that we have to support everybody. And I, I had the perspective of people were being lazy when in a yeah. sense I was being lazy by not supporting them. Mm. Powerful again, right? We got to, sometimes we need other people to help us realize it, but uh, you know, that perspective piece, uh, you know, like you all said, it's, it's life-changing, right? You know, that's what makes us realize things that we hadn't seen before. And, and it makes us question, you know, our own beliefs and the, our own ways of doing things. So Guys, it's been great. You know, I'm I'm looking at the time and I'm gonna I'm gonna let you guys go. It's been a great series. Uh for the people watching and the people listening, disrupt the status quo. You gotta get out and get the book. You know, at, you'll you'll be able to link so many things to to what you know your what, what you've experienced and what you're experiencing now in classroom. So get out there and get the book. Uh it will be linked up. You just need to head out to inspireleadership.ca in the podcast section. There will be links there for the book. Get the book, guys. And Matt, Brian, Daphne, and Christine, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to meeting me one-on-one for our individual interview. And now, you know, getting everybody together, it's been really fun for me. I've enjoyed meeting you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. You're very inspiring. And I'm really proud, you know, to say that I've met you guys now and that we know each other. And, you know, the sky's the limit from there. And uh, thanks for being on the podcast today, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks. Hi there, it's Joel. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and that you were able to find many useful takeaways. Adding value to others is one of the most important actions a leader can take. So please share this episode with your friends and colleagues and on social media. Let's reach out to as many people as we can. Want to connect with me? Well, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or you can visit my website, inspireleadership.ca. If you'd rather send me an email, my address is joel, that's J-O-E-L, at inspireleadership.ca. Take care, everybody, and now go get your leadership on.